2: Right so Amber Speed.
1: Down production, take one. Action! <laughs>
2: Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era. Hear fascinating conversations with writer producer Steve Cubine, who quite literally lives just beneath the Hollywood sign, and actress writer Nan McNamara. Now, your hosts, Steve and Nan. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. This is
0: our first episode dropping in December, so it seems appropriate (laughs) that we should give, like we did for Halloween, we got such a great reaction from that episode, that we would dive in with some holiday movies to watch in the next three
1: weeks. So deck those halls. We've got some great, (laughs) great, kind of lesser-known holiday movies for you to check out. So this is going to be fun. I don't know what Nan has chosen. She doesn't know what I've chosen like we did with Halloween. So yes. it'll be fun for us to figure out. What I the cannot
2: other wait
0: to hear what's on your list because you always manage to come up with something that I either haven't watched or maybe watched a long time ago and have
1: forgotten about. The first one that I am talking about that everyone should check out is called I'll Be Seeing You. It's from 1944. It was produced by David O. Selznick with his Selznick company, and it was distributed by United Artists. It's directed by William Ditterly, who's interesting. He's a German director who actually replaced John Cromwell, who got fired. And then a little more about that. David O. Selznick did not like a certain scene in the final cut, so he brought in George Cougar to direct this one particular scene with Ginger Rogers and Shirley Temple. Oh my god! So gosh. Cougar had a little bit to do with this, too. So it's Kind of, uh, does he get any kind of
0: credit for it?
1: He does on IMDb, but that's it. Okay, interesting. Um, But you know what? It's a film that's about love and it's about secrets. That's sort of the main theme. Mm. And and basically, Mary Marshall, played by the wonderful Ginger Rogers, who I think it's one of her best movies, by the way, she meets this Sergeant Zach Morgan, played by one of my favorites, Joseph Cotton, uh, on a train. Yeah, he's so great. And Selznick loved him. They meet on a train and they both kind of fall for each other. There's a mutual attraction. But then they tell a big lie. Mary tells Zach that she's a traveling sales lady and she's going home to visit her aunt and uncle for the holidays. Okay. In reality, she's in prison and she's gotten the special furlough to get out for 10 days for good behavior so she can spend the holidays with her family. Oh my. She has to go back to prison and finish up her sentence. But what happened, though, is she was actually sentenced for manslaughter. Her boss lured her up to his apartment and tried to seduce her. Uh, she fought back, and she pushed him, and he hit a window, went out the window, 14 flights. So, and so
0: she <laughs> was convicted.
1: She was convicted of manslaughter. So although it was really self-defense. Yes, so, it was. Because we can't have Ginger Rogers be a convicted felon Man, yeah, in exactly. reality. Right, Uh, But this is the big lie she tells him. Well, he tells her that he's just on furlough from the war. But in reality, he has been furloughed from a a military mental institution where he suffered PTSD. Except in the movie, they call it shell shock, which I think was the word they used right. before PTSD was a thing. Right, right. So they kind of don't really know the truth about why they're going home. And he and oh, and Joseph Cotton also lies and said that he's going to visit his sister in Pine Hill, which is where Ginger Rogers is going. But actually, he just wants an opportunity to be close to her and, and get to know her. So he gets off the train with her at Pine Hill. She goes to her family and her aunt and uncle, and they're great. Um, it, they're the aunt Sarah's played. By Spring Byington.
0: Okay, I don't know Spring no, Byington, but I love that I'm, name. Okay, do I? And I tell I you know why you is? know
1: Spring Byington because, and you've actually done this pl- as a play. She plays Jean Arthur's wacky artist mother, and you can't take it with you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> You know, she's great. Just oh, an incredible yeah. character actress. And Uncle Henry's played by the great Tom Tully. People might remember him. He was Oscar nominated for the remake in 1954 of The Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart. Okay, yeah. Uh, but they're great. They greet her with open arms and, mm. and no judgment. They understand that she probably got a raw deal and she's not a criminal. And so they lovingly take her in for Christmas. But they have a daughter named Barbara, played by uh, teenage Shirley Temple. You know, this is after the good ship lollipop days, and she's kind of growing up. Yes. And Barbara, her character, is not so keen on having this convict sharing a bedroom with her for the holidays. Okay. So she's a little suspicious. She kind of labels all her things, thinking that Ginger Rogers is going to steal her stuff, I guess. Uh, But finally, Ginger Rogers explains to her what really happened, and it really softens Barbara's heart, and she loves her cousin now, and she's sorry for being such a brat. But over the course of this 10-day holiday, Zach and Mary fall in love, and it's all the background of this idyllic small town. Over the course of their courtship, Zach does suffer some episodes with his PTSD, and Uh Ginger's character sees it. So she finally has him... Confess what it is, and she's committed to helping him with it. Right. But she decides that if she tells him the truth about her at this point, it'll just hurt him. Right. So she again decides to keep it from him. So it's all about the secrets, the lies, how they compound on each other, how it affects their relationship. Are they going to end up happily ever after? Yeah, Are they going to love this? Premise. Tell the truth. It's really just a beautiful, heartfelt movie, all set against the background of Christmas in this small town. Why I love this movie so much is it's a movie about second chances, Mm. you know, and I'm always a sucker for a second chance. Yes. And it's always about doing the right thing. And it's always about, you know, being true to yourself and just being honest and hoping that someone will love you back for who you are, regardless of the warts and all. Right. But to me, the really fascinating thing about this movie, and it really struck me as I rewatched it over the weekend, it's an anti-propaganda movie. And the funny thing about it was it was shot during the war in 1944. So the war is raging on when they shot this movie. But instead of doing the typical propaganda spin that Hollywood did right. on movies where right. the soldiers are all brave and perfect, it really shows the demons of this one soldier who's seen some horrible stuff in war, and it really talks about the horrors of war and how it affects people. That just wasn't done in no. 1944. We were rallying the troops and boosting morale, and this movie, it really takes a little darker look at uh, what it was like to be a soldier in World War II. Wow. Which, is to me, is fascinating.
0: Yeah. Especially under the uh, with the background. Drop of the holidays
1: yeah it's an interesting mix it's yeah. an interesting thing some fun things about it. It was originally supposed to be called I'll See You Again and David O'Selznick wanted to use the nineteen twenty nine Noel Coward song instead, but uh-huh. Coward wanted too much money. Oh, he did. Well he was, I know. he
0: was he was worth it. But exactly. But
1: but so Selznick said, Well screw that. We'll just go get, you know, the somebody else the Sammy Fain and Irving Cajal song, I'll be seeing you, and we'll call it that. And is it played throughout? Do you do you- and the movie, like, that in your head. There's a couple of key points, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially at, at this one Christmas event with the whole family. And, yes, it's and it's beautifully incorporated into the thing. And it's just a haunting theme that's so perfect. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, originally it was supposed to star Joseph Cotton and Joan Fontaine. Hmm. My favorite.
0: Mm-hmm. Not.
1: Um, <laughs> we've talked about her before. We've talked about her. But Joan Fontaine had another commitment to another film. And so Ginger Rogers stepped in. And she's Wonderful, She really is. It's, it's one of my favorite Ginger Rogers performances. And if you haven't seen it, I really recommend you do. But the one thing about Joseph Cotton, he and Shirley Temple had been in the David O. Selznick movie since she went away a couple of years before. So they were sort of like his stock players that he okay. brought back for this. And it did knock Joseph Cotton out of consideration for Hitchcock's Spellbound, oh. which was a bummer because he was Hitchcock's first choice mm-hmm. um, for the role. It's just a fun, sentimental, but it has a realistic seriousness about it. It's a really nice blend, especially for a Christmas movie.
0: Yeah. I love one of the things that this film seems to suggest is kind of looking back over your life. And as you said, the choices you've made and the secrets. And and at the end of the year, isn't that what we all are kind of doing? So it's wonderful to get to explore that in a film. So
1: well said. And this is a great movie for that. So check it out. It's a good one.
0: I just wrote it down. I'll be seeing you. Good, good. Okay. So what do you got? Okay, this is what I got. As you said, there are so many famous Christmas films and we might, if we have time at the end, give some honorable mentions to more of the classics that people might expect. But this is a new film. I texted you the night that I found it and said, do you know this movie? Have you ever seen it? (laughs) And it was, it's streaming actually right now. It's called on streaming services Beyond Christmas. But as you pointed out, because I couldn't find it anywhere, it originally was entitled Beyond Tomorrow. It's from 1940 and it was, the title was changed by Fox when they released it in 2004 as a DVD. That's how the name was changed from Beyond Tomorrow, the original title, to Beyond Christmas. So if you're looking for it on streaming, look for
1: Beyond Christmas. Well, I'm sure they wanted to capitalize on because Christmas movies are of so course. popular. They're, They're like, huge. They us slap and Christmas on it and sell more yeah, DVDs. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't
0: think Beyond Tomorrow. You'd go, mm, I don't yeah. know what that is. But it's 1940. It's directed by a gentleman named A. Edward Sutherland who was actually one of the original Keystone Cops.
1: Oh my gosh. He, I didn't know
0: Yeah, he directed a number of Laurel and Hardy movies and W.C. Fields movies. And it's interesting that this fell into his lap. Unfortunately, his career was not that long as a director in that he had a critical and financial flop with a film called Abby's Irish Rose. Have you ever seen that?
1: I've heard of it. I've never seen it, but I know that movie. So
0: it was a flop and he really couldn't find much work in the U.S. after that. So he went back to uh, the U.K. Now, Beyond Tomorrow is considered a B film. It doesn't have a big what we would call a list now. But you know what
1: I love? I love a good B movie. I do.
0: I do too. And it has wonderful veteran character actors, led by Harry Carey, oh, who him. is a staple in John Ford westerns yep. and Howard Hawks Red River. And oh, that's right. Yeah. Probably the most famous role was as President of the Senate in Mr. Smith Goes to oh, Washington, of course, of for course. which he was nominated for an Academy Award. If you look up Harry Carey, you'll go, oh yeah, I know who that guy is. Other actors who you're going to recognize our C. Aubrey Smith. Oh, do you know him? I, yes. I love him. Of course you do. Him. Tall, yes. lanky, Brit, yes. bushy eyebrows yeah. appeared in everything from Rebecca to, and then there were none, which I love those, Agatha Christie movies and one of the Tarzan films he was oh. in as well. <laughs> and then this lovely cherubic, Twinkle-eyed Charles Winninger. You would recognize him as well. You know, and I
1: believe he played the father in State Fair with Gene Crane. Yes, Yes. I believe he did. He's so great. Yeah, and
0: he started in vaudeville and on Broadway. And I think his big kind of thing that brought him out to Hollywood was Showboat. He was in in the original production of Showboat. And another actress that we've talked about before... Maria Ospenskaya So you've got all those wonderful people and the story It's a
1: great cast. It
0: is a great cast. The story has a kind of a Christmas carol element to it and I'll just kind of go over some of the highlights. I don't want to give away a couple of the plot twists because I think that's part of the fun of it. But it takes place on Christmas Eve night and these three aging friends, the three that I mentioned, they are millionaire businessmen and they're together on Christmas Eve. They live alone in a mansion with Alex Mellish plays Joseph, their butler, and Maria Ospenskaya plays Madame Tanya she's like a Russian immigrant who course, used to be wealthy of course she is yeah, she had to be right? To what be else Russian is
1: she going to play and she has a
0: lovely moving yeah. scene at one point where they give her a gift and she is incredibly touching so they're having a party but at the last minute their guests on Christmas Eve decide they can't come because one of them is sick and so the three men are kind of left by themselves and two of them are very optimistic men and one is Harry Carey plays oh. the one that's <clears throat> sort of the mm, curmudgeonly guy yeah. and they decide to play a game, they're going to throw out their mansion window in New York City. They're going to throw out a wallet with a $10 bill and a business card. And they're going to see if people just take it and run off with the money. Or if they're honest. Or if they're honest and they return it. So that's kind of the premise. And Harry Carey's character is certain that no one will come. Well, one of the wallets does get lost, but the other two... Do not. And they're found by an aspiring singer. The character's name is James Houston. He's played by Richard Carlson. I
1: love Richard Carlson. Who's from
0: Minnesota. Yes, He's I, a Minnesota I, I, boy. Of course, with the name Carlson, how could he not be from Minnesota? I know. He's
1: Marsha Hunt's leading man in the affairs of Martha.
0: So his love interest is played by Jean Parker, yes. who you know from <sighs> Little the, Women. I yes, love her. Yes. Little Women, 1933, with Catherine Hepburn. She works as a teacher in a children's hospital. So she's just a lovely character or so the old men invite the couple to stay with them for Christmas Eve. They actually end up becoming really good friends. And then a major plot twist happens when the three older men travel to Pittsburgh for business. And I don't want to give away what happens, <laughs> but these men continue to have an influence on this couple's life. Even as James, played by Richard Carlson, the singer, he gets swayed. He gets swayed by a successful and beautiful singer played by Helen Vincent. Oh And yes. yeah, who, I'm sure Helen you Vincent, know. Yes. So when he has an opportunity for fame and fortune on the radio and he's attracted to Helen, his priorities sort of, you know, he gets very confused. He's seduced by fame and fortune. Exactly. Or the potential of it. (laughs) That's exactly it. And so the question then for the rest of the film becomes, can these three old men save the situation and reunite Houston and Lawrence? Because you know that they need to be together. Oh, I love that. So I, I was saying to Lindsay as we were preparing for this episode, I learn something about myself. I love sappy. I love sweet and <laughs> sentimental. I want my, wrong with that. I want my Christmas movie <laughs> to hurt my teeth. Yes. Like, it's just, and this I is one it. of those films. It fell into public domain when the copyright wasn't renewed. And so apparently there are a lot of bad copies of it because people would take oh, a second or third generation right. and create a DVD. Oh, or hated that. Or a VHS. And strangely enough, in my research on it, it said it had been rebroadcast for 75 years straight. Like, it was- It, it was Yeah, everybody was supposedly knowing about this film. Not in my hometown. Uh, Me either. (laughs) Yeah. So when it was re-released in 2004, as I mentioned, by 20th Century Fox, it's just a wonderful, sweet, very sentimental, uh, somewhat spiritual film that I just was moved by in the end. And I think it's well worth a look at.
1: I'm putting it on my list. It sounds like right up my alley.
0: We have more holiday films to talk about, but right now it's time for the Hollywood Pop Quiz. Steve.
1: Yes, so keeping with holiday traditions... The question is In the movie The Bells of St. Mary's, Bing Crosby plays a character named Father O'Malley. And this movie actually is a sequel to a prior movie where he plays the same character. What is the movie? Oh, I think I might know the answer. No Googling allowed.
0: We'll come back with that answer and more after this.
2: Hey, y'all.
1: Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest, and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween
2: storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps.
0: All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day, there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. Today could be the day a famous mobster met their end, or the first milestone for humans in space. Who knows what history today holds? Find out when you listen and subscribe to This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, Stephen Ann will be right back, but first, another stop on our Hollywood tour. You've heard of Sid Grauman, the owner of the famous Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Well, there are a few versions of this story, but he first got the idea to have stars place their hands and feet in cement in a pretty unusual way. Here's what happened. One day in front of his theater in 1926, film star Norma Talmadge accidentally stepped into wet cement she inadvertently became the first star immortalized at the theater and owner sid grauman turned it into another hollywood tradition and now back to steve and ann from beneath the hollywood side
0: all right so what
1: you got
2: what's your next one all right you know my next one is maybe my favorite one
1: Ooh, <laughs> okay good and it's holiday affair oh. Which I think some people will know this movie for sure. It's from 1949. It was an RKO Radio Pictures release. It was directed by Don Hartman. And it was released Christmas Eve of 1949. And it stars Janet Leigh. Oh. And it stars my man, Robert Mitchum. Oh, Which is funny because when you think of a Christmas movie...
0: You don't think of Robert Mitchum. (laughs) You don't
1: think of Robert Mitchum. And a funny little tidbit was that Howard Hughes, who owned RKO at the time basically forced Mitchum to do this role to rehabilitate his reputation because oh. he had just gotten busted for marijuana possession
0: oh. <laughs> the year so before. Let's, let's throw a holiday movie So this is I'm like,
1: gonna... Mitchum, go do this sweet, fun holiday movie. Your reputation will be restored and you'll continue on your path to being the greatest movie star. But it's a great story. Janet Lee plays Connie Ennis. She's a war widow who was heartbroken over the loss of her husband and really hasn't gotten over it. But she's created this very safe world for herself. And her six-year-old little boy, Timmy, who's played by this adorable child actor named Gordon Gebert. she works as a comparative Christmas shopper for a huge department store. Oh, that's interesting. Which is fun. Yeah. So she goes into a rival department store's toy department at Christmas, and she hurriedly buys this very expensive toy train. And the clerk that sells it to her, of course, is Robert Mitchum. (laughs) And Mitchum, he's a dreamer. He's this laid back, cool guy. He's aspiring to be a boat builder. He wants to go and build these beautiful boats. He wants to go to California. It's his dream. Well, he's just doing this job to save up money so he can go take off to California and build these boats. Well, he tags her the minute she walks in. He knows she's a comparative shopper because she doesn't ask any questions about the train set. She hurriedly just takes it all in, so he knows what she's up to. So that night, Janet Lee goes home and her little boy, Timmy, snoops and he sees the toy train set and he thinks it's for him. The thing is, Janet Lee has sort of brought Timmy up to not have big dreams and not to get your hopes up not to let yourself really dream and want something it's sort
0: of sounding like 30 uh, Miracle on 34th Street it's some a, themes it's
1: a very similar relationship i think between Timmy and Janet Lee's mm-hmm. character Connie definitely so Timmy tries to squash his expectations and his want but he wa- he's a kid he wants a toy train and he sees <laughs> it and he thinks it's his but that next morning she tells him it's for work it has to go back Aww. so he's crushed but he soldiers on as, as he's been trained to do well Janet goes back to return the toy train set at the department store, and Robert Mitchum's character, whose character's name is Steve Mason, great name, he totally calls her out. He's like, I'm on to you. I know what you're up to, sister. And now here's the part where I'm supposed to take you to security. We're going to take your picture. We're going to plaster it in oh, every department on every So know, that her level. identity
0: is given away. You can
1: never shop here again. And then she says, but I'll be fired. He goes, well, that's just the chance you took. And then she tells him that she's a war widow. She has a son and he mm. has mercy on her. Oh. and he he says all right here's the refund he writes her a receipt for a refund little did he know this persnickety floor walker overhears the whole thing and so Robert Mitchum gets fired because oh. he didn't do the right thing with this comparative shopper. Oh. So now Mitchum's out of a job Janet Lee runs into him again at the department store and she tells him well thanks lady I you know, I just got fired and she feels terrible and he says alright make it up to me go have lunch with me because obviously there's a, a spark. spark and it's Robert it's Janet Mitchum Lee and, Robert and Janet Mitchum. Lee. you know so she tells him that she'll do it so lunch to Robert Mitchum means having hot dogs in Central Park Zoo around the SEAL exhibit, <laughs> <laughs> which becomes a theme, which is really fun. And he explains who he is and what his dream is. And he's broke. Mm. And, you know, she's a struggling single mom and meet cute, you know, lots of sparks. Of course. So he decides to help her finish her shopping for the day. So they go shopping and then they get separated in the crazy, busy streets of New York. And she gets on a bus. He doesn't get on the bus. They totally get separated. But he tracks her down that night to her apartment. And when he shows up, She is there with her very steady and very safe Bo, Attorney Carl Davis, who's played by Wendell Corey. Okay. And people probably remember Wendell Corey. He was in uh, Desert Fury with Elizabeth Scott and Burt Lancaster. But most people know him from Sorry, Wrong Number.
0: Oh, uh, He yes. plays the doctor
1: who tries to help Barbara Stanwyck, and he's also in Rear Window. Oh. He's the police lieutenant.
0: Yes, yeah, yes, yes. He's
1: that great everyman. But, a great description. Know, yeah, and he's, he's her very safe boyfriend. Well, Steve sees what's going on. He knows that She's picked a safe guy that she's not in love with, and she and
0: doesn't look at him the same way. That, no,
1: that she looks because at him. if you're going to look at Robert Mitchum and Wendell Corey—no <laughs> offense to <laughs> Wendell Corey—you're going to pick Robert <laughs> Mitchum. So the sparks are flying, but Connie has to figure out what she wants to do. For once in her life, does she do something outside her comfort yes. zone and follow her heart, which clearly belongs with Steve Mason, Robert Mitchum, or does she take the safe route and marry Carl the attorney and have a normal, nice, safe boring mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. And that's the dilemma. It becomes this Christmas time love triangle and you know, you find out that Carl's a really decent man, and which makes it even harder for her to choose. Yeah, so and you're kind of rooting for all of them. You are. Well, I was always rooting for match <laughs> him <laughs> Because he's Robert Mitchum. <laughs> Janet Leigh, pick Robert Mitchum. But it's just, it's really this really fresh, wonderful movie. And it has these great themes of following your heart and taking chances in life. And, and don't give up on your dreams. That's what I like most about this movie. It has a great supporting cast. Esther Dale and Griff Barnett play Connie's former in-laws, okay. who she's really close to. And the great Harry Morgan, who's oh, been in everything and yeah. was in MASH. Yeah. He plays this very confused police lieutenant in a very hilarious police scene where everyone's trying to, <laughs> explain everything and who's connected and who's in love and who's not and who did what. And then Henry O'Neill, who's a great character actor I love, he plays Mr. Crowley who owns a department store who plays a big part in okay. it. Okay. It's just a really wonderful movie. Everybody should see it. One fun thing about it was Janet Lee said in her, I think in her autobiography that there's one scene where Mitchum kind of charges into the kitchen. Uh, I think Carl might even be in the other room and just kisses her passionately. And just, that's and the moment. Like, what well, she said, she said that the expression that you saw. On my face was real. She goes, I did not know the kiss was going to be that sexy. Oh, yeah. And she goes, so What she saw was real. And then yeah. Mitchum later said, I wanted to make the kiss memorable as though the characters were never going to see each other again. And then he said, The perks of being an actor are at times not so bad. Because <laughs> who wouldn't want to make out with Janet <laughs> Lee? But the film wasn't actually a success when it was first released. But over time, and TCM, it's sort of gotten a following, and it's just incredible. Everybody should see it.
0: I can't wait.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. So what have you got next, Nan?
0: My next film is called Come to the Stable. Oh, yes. 1949. Great film. It is a great film. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including nominations for Loretta Young, Celeste Holm, and Elsa Lanchester. It's a story by Claire Booth Luce, and the screenplay was written by Oscar Millard. and set, Yep. Exactly. Right. Oscar Millard and Sally Benson did the actual screenplay. So the story is, it's post-World War II. Two nuns from a French convent arrive in a small Connecticut town called Bethlehem. <laughs> of course it is. Get where <laughs> this is going. And they, they plan, They have a they have a vision from God to build a children's hospital. And there's this wonderful story about how they came to that vision. And there are things sprinkled throughout the storyline about World War II. So it has that heart-tugging element to it as well. They land in Bethlehem and they enlist the help of several colorful characters in achieving their dream, including a struggling artist, a popular songwriter, and the gruff but lovable racketeer. There's always
1: a gruff but lovable racketeer. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right.
0: So these two nuns are indeed irresistible, played by Loretta Young and Celeste Holm. In fact, one of the characters in the film says: an irresistible force has been let loose in New England. (laughs) And these two women, <laughs> you know, we, we think of them as these glamorous stars. But when you see them in these full habits, <laughs> and they really do make for a beautiful pair of, yeah. of nuns. Yes. Celeste Holm with her French accent, and she speaks a, a lot of French in the film. It's directed by Harry Koster, who I'm quickly becoming a huge fan of. He directed many amazing films, including Harvey, oh, that's right. including a number of spiritual stories or films that are centered around spiritual characters like The Singing Nun. He directed The Story of Ruth. He directed The Robe, which was the first Cinemascope film. He also directed My Man Godfrey and Harvey, of course, with Jimmy Stewart being the most famous. What a resume. He has a great resume. And many of his films have this sort of whimsical feel to them. As I said, the cast is a colorful array of character actors, including, as I mentioned, Elsa Lanchester. She plays a well-known artist who paints religious pictures. Yes. Hugh Marlowe, who the following oh. year would go on to star with Celeste Holman in All About All Eve. All About Eve, that's right. He plays this successful songwriter, and he's probably the biggest stumbling block to the sisters Celeste and Loretta Young being able to build the hospital. So Hugh Marlowe's character Mason has a porter played by Dooley Wilson.
2: Dooley Wilson, Who yes. we
0: know from Casablanca. We love
1: Dooley Wilson. And the
0: piano player. And while the role that Dooley Wilson plays is a complete stereotype and really unacceptable through today's lens, the redeeming aspect of Wilson's character, Anthony, is that he helps the sisters all along. As I mentioned, Luigi Rossi, the gruff but lovable racketeer, is played <laughs> by Thomas Gomez. I who love had a Gomez. Fascinating yes. background.
1: Weird little fun fact. I think he was the very first Latino actor to ever receive an Oscar nomination.
0: Oh, wow. That is fascinating. Did you know that he applied for an ad that Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan had in the newspaper? And so he started no with them in their theater company. I had no so, idea. Yeah, wow. I mean, That's interesting. fascinating. And some other wonderful character actors in supporting roles are the real estate agent, Mr. Jarman, is played by Walter Baldwin. Yes. Regis Toomey plays the <laughs> Monsignor. He was in everything. <laughs> yes, he was in everything. And another fellow who's in everything is Mike Mazurki. I love Mike mazurki Who plays Rossi's? He's of
2: always, course. The, big He's always brute. the henchman. The, the big brute. He always
0: kind of plays the big brute. That's not yes. you know very smart. And in real life, that's not at all who he was. He was apparently a very very wonderful conversationalist and intelligent man. There's a final scene in the film. I'm not going to give it away, <laughs> but I'm going to say that even the most cynical of people could not help but shed
1: yes. at least one or two yes. tears. That ending is wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it'll really get something.
0: you. Yeah. So come. To the stable come good, and see come good to the stable
1: choice Thank really you. great Thank you. choice it makes me want to go rewatch it yeah all right your turn well my final one is actually a tv movie and it was a perennial favorite in my house in the 70s it was called the house without a christmas tree from oh. 1972 oh wow you remember it no I, I don't either you got this movie and it just lives in your heart or you've never heard of it i found with people It was done by CBS. It was directed by Paul Bogart. He had done Cancel My Reservations before that with Bob Hope, but he went on to be the big director of All in the Family. He was like one of the main directors Ah. of that classic sitcom. But it was written by Eleanor Perry, and she won an Emmy for writing this screenplay. But it was released in December of 1972. The film takes place in a small town in Nebraska in 1946, just after the war. And it centers on the everyday life of this 12-year-old girl named Addie Mills. She's this curious, pigtailed girl who wears horn-rimmed glasses, and she's played by the sensational young actress named Lisa Lucas. She never leans into being precocious. She plays it so intelligently and so acutely aware of the adults in the room and what's going on that it's really a sensational child performance. You know, really should check it out. But the movie is told sort of a To kill a mockingbird, the adult Addie's voiceover Uh, sort of sets uh, the story up, which is kind of fun. I love that. But Addie lives with her widowed father, James, played to perfection, I should say, by Jason Robarbs, Uh. and her grandmother, played by one of my favorite character actresses ever. I probably say that every podcast, but <laughs> truly, Mildred Natwick is yes. amazing. And it really, it's about Addie's desire to have a Christmas tree. It's a very simple story. But what we've come to realize is that James has never allowed her to have a Christmas tree because he's still bitter and emotionally closed after his wife's death. Mm. I think it reminds him too much of, of great times he had with his lost love. Of course. So he's now turned into this very closed-off man who's dealing with this young girl She's like a foreign creature to him. He just doesn't know how to relate to her. He doesn't know how to communicate with her. And she's very frustrated by this. So she just wants a Christmas tree. Mm. So he says no over and over again. And she thinks it's because he's stingy and doesn't want to pay for it. She doesn't
0: know the background. She doesn't
1: really know the background and how it triggers him. But at school, there's two girls in the class that don't have a Christmas tree at home. One is her and one is this other little girl. So the teacher has a contest. Whoever can guess a number closest to the one she's thinking of will get the Christmas tree. Well, Addie kind of knows the system and she works it so that she wins the Christmas tree, of course. <laughs> she takes the Christmas tree home. She and grandmother decorate it. It's beautiful. Dad comes home and the shit hits the fan. I
0: bet. I <laughs> Dad bet. Dad is
1: not happy. And she's just shocked at his reaction because it's so emotional and so...
0: Because she doesn't know. She has yeah. no idea. It's bringing up all the
1: heartache. It is. And so what she decides to do, and it's so touching, She, in the middle of the night, she gets up and she drags that Christmas tree out the front door and she takes it over to the other little girl's house who lost the contest. And she leaves the tree for that family. Well, James finds out that that's what she did. Mm -hmm. And it really, it touches him so much. And it really starts to soften him up to his daughter and to realize I've got this really good kid with this right. big heart and I'm I'm blowing it. Right. So and it's really about that. It's about this relationship between this father and this daughter who are just foreign figures to each other and how they finally learn to communicate and to learn to accept each other and, and know what's going on. And and Addie finally realizes why he's so opposed to Christmas. It's a beautiful story. It's so well told. The writing is so good. Well, she won the Emmy for it. So it's just one of my favorites. People, like I said, they either know it and love it or they just have never heard of it. So I hope people will check it out. It ended up being so popular, they did three sequels to it. Uh, oh. And they were all centered around holidays, which was clever. They did The Thanksgiving Treasure, where Addie invites her father's longtime sworn enemy, played by the great Bernard Hughes, oh. to Thanksgiving and hope to end this feud.
0: And, you know, Jason Robards and Bernard Hughes ended up doing the Jose Quintero-directed Iceman Cometh together oh. and here in Los Angeles. I don't
1: think I knew that. Yeah,
0: they. Oh, I think wow. they were good friends.
1: Oh, I love that. It would I make sense. Know. And it's a great episode. But then they do an Easter episode called The Easter Promise. And this is my favorite because the great Jean Simmons, oh, we all love. Yes. She plays this washed up actress who comes back to the hometown and she's kind of reclusive. And she's just sort of cut off from people. And Addie befriends her and sort of gets her hmm. to kind of open back up to society. And it's, it's a beautiful story. And then the last one is Addie and the King of Hearts, which is set around Valentine's Day. And Addie becomes jealous of the town beautician, played by Diane Ladd, (laughs) playing Diane Ladd, as she always did. Uh, And it's all about, you know, affairs of the heart. They're just beautiful, family fun. Um, Everybody should check these out.
0: All right. Those are four movies I'm going to add into the list. You know, there was actually an
1: opera commissioned in Houston based on this story as well. It sounds like a great story. It's a great story. Yeah. Good for Christmas.
0: Last film. The Bishop's Wife, 1947. Yes. Also directed by Henry Coster.
1: And Loretta Young.
0: Again with a Loretta Another Young. Another Loretta Young film. Now, I didn't realize that Henry Coster had directed both films. Yeah? Of course, oh, wow. I knew Loretta Young was in both, but also featuring Elsa Lanchester. Screenplay by Robert E. Sherwood, who won not one, not two, not three, but four Pulitzer <laughs> Prizes. Wow. And also wrote, as you know, The Best Years of Our Lives. Yes, my favorite. Among many other yes. things. This film was nominated for five Academy Awards, including one of the only nominations that Costa received as a director. Oh, really? Um, Now, the plot is, it's it's a lovely story. It's dejected by his efforts to raise money to build a cathedral. A bishop, who's played by David Niven, beseeches heaven for guidance, and he's visited by an angel named Dudley, played by the (laughs) ever-yummy Cary Grant, who Henry is very skeptical about and... Then annoyed When Dudley ingratiates himself Into the household As his assistant But Henry's priorities David Niven's character His priorities Are completely misplaced On getting this cathedral As opposed to family And what his job Is all about really And so Dudley continues To hang out With the long-suffering And kindly wife Julia Played by Loretta Loretta Young Young. (laughs) And Dudley ingratiates himself Into her life And Henry's life And I don't want to Give away too much But it is a beautiful film I only just saw it in 2012 for the first time I had not seen Uh it and it has become the perennial we've got to record or watch The Bishop's Wife I think we own it now yes It's another film with terrific character actors, including Monty Woolley from The Man Who Came to Dinner. (laughs) Gladys Cooper, who we've talked about on this broadcast, who plays the wealthy dowager, Mrs. Hamilton. She's so evil, but, you know, softens her heart in the end. And again, Elsa Lanchester, who has some very funny interactions with Cary Grant. And there's a flirtation there. Fun trivia about this. Cary Grant was originally supposed to play the bishop, and David Niven was to play the angel. And in fact, they shot the film. I mean, a lot of the film. And then the original director was fired. Harry Koster takes over. He looks at the film footage and says, Mm -mm. (laughs) mm-mm, they're playing the wrong roles. And so Cary Grant takes over the role of the angel, David Niven, the bishop, and Sam Goldwyn, Samuel Goldwyn, ended up not only refilming it, but also redoing sets. And they spent almost... A million dollars Which just doing the research. Which was a fortune back then. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't yeah. you
1: love to see that footage oh, of the I would, role reversed? I would
0: love to. I'd love to see but- that. But... I do think Cary Grant has to play the Perfect. angel. Perfect. You know, you really, in some ways, he's so convincing that you kind of want him to get together with Julia. Yeah. Because David Niven is, you know, his character yeah. is kind of a, a pill. But he does have a, a turnaround in his heart. And it's another one of those lovely movies yeah. that, in the end, you really realize what's important in life. Yeah. There is a remake that was done in 1996 called The Preacher's Wife. But I got to say, you have to see the yeah. original film. It is at the top of my must-see Christmas movies, The Bishop's Wife.
1: That's a good one. That'll put you in the mood.
0: Oh, boy. I'm, I'm ready for, like, some eggnog and, <laughs> you know, maybe putting some decorations on the tree. Exactly. How about you, Linz? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's time for the answer to our Hollywood pop quiz.
1: The question was, in the movie The Bells of St. Mary's, Bing Crosby plays a character named Father O'Malley, and it's a character he had played a couple of years prior in another movie, and what was the movie? The movie, of course, was Going My Way from 1944, and in fact, Bing Crosby won the Academy Award for that performance, and he was also nominated for The Bells of St. Mary's for playing the same character. And that's another great Christmas movie, right? Oh, it's a great Christmas movie. That scene where Ingrid Bergman teaches that boy the box. Oh, boy. Oh, it's, as a nun. It's oh, hilarious. Well,
0: speaking of which, Celeste Holm as a nun playing tennis. Ah. Just saying. Come to we the got stable. we a theme going here. I know. We do have a theme. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our holiday edition. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. And we also have a YouTube channel at From Beneath the Hollywood Sign.
1: And also, if you have any questions, you have any comments, if you have ideas for potential shows, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at com. So that's this week's view.
2: From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. You've been listening to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign with Steve Kubine and Ann McNamara, the podcast that celebrates amazing stories of Tinseltown from its golden era. Join us next week for another episode and learn something else about Hollywood you probably never knew. Take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a positive a review And tell your friends about us, too. It'll help grow the podcast. Visit Steve's website at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign.com. The executive producers are Steve Cubine and Nan McNamara. Executive producer and post-production supervisor, Lindsay Schnebley. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit AirwaveMedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows, like The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toth. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. That's a wrap.
1: Could not help oh, but shed, no. yes. Thank you. Good ear there, yeah. Lens. How come you didn't help me <laughs> when, when, when I go f- up? <laughs>